Well, today we're continuing in our study of the book of Ephesians. We'll take a look at the last half of Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, last week, if you were with us, um, OJ taught from Ephesians 1 chapter, or chapter 1 verses 3 through 14. And it is such a rich, important passage. It's one you really want to come back to over and over again. So if you somehow missed last week, get it on tape or uh, download it. You can go to our website. Make sure you listen to it because as a, someone who helps people grow spiritually, uh, this is foundational. It's a, it's a passage we need to go to frequently. And the reason why is it, it's important, as OGA helped us to understand last week, is that we live from a sense of our identity. Psychologists will bear this out. Who we think we are or who we think we're not affects how we live. It affects our behaviors. It affects what we're willing to do and how we're willing to act. And so as OJ said, we need to know who we are if we're going to be fully alive and if we're fully going to live according to the purpose that God has given us, his people. So last week was about our position in Christ, who we are, And this week, it's all going to be about power, the power that we have in Christ and because of his gospel, the power that helps us to overcome sin, the power to love, the power that God intends to transform the world in which we live. Um, He wants us to make a difference. What's really neat as we study, and we're going to see this morning, is this passage actually comes to us in the form of a prayer. And what's going on is the first section, the stuff that OJ taught last week, is just so profound. It's actually a run-on sentence. It's one long sentence of over 250 words, right? And so Paul is just, and this is true about us, and this is true about us, and he's just kind of piling it on. And he gets to a point where he says, and this is what I pray for you. And it's like, God, they have got to get this. This is so important. And so what he does is he stops and he prays. Those of us who teach, we come to those certain points where we go, you know, it's really important that they get this. And so in Paul's case, what he said, I just pray, Lord, I pray you'd open up their eyes. I pray you open up their heart that they would be able to receive this. It's kind of cool. And it's a passage that's instructive in a couple of different ways is one. It's very rich in theology. And all theology is, is the study of God, who he is, what he is like. What are his purposes? What is he up to? And this passage has such richness in that. It's also instructive for us in how to pray because it's a prayer. It's actually an example for us in how to pray. So let me start there. Let let me kind of jump off of that and and let's talk about prayer. Because I don't know about you. um, Actually, I do because I've been a pastor a long time and I've talked to a lot of people. Prayer is something where we all can tend to feel inadequate, right? Anybody relate to that a little bit? We can feel inadequate. In this fast-paced, cyber-connected world in which we live, there's a lost art of silence and solitude and knowing really how to pray. We don't have many examples around us. Perhaps our experience is just the family mealtime prayers or the now I lay me down to sleep prayers or the Lord help me get through this final exam and I promise I'll study next time prayers, right? Um, We can all relate to those sorts of prayers. Like the disciples in the garden, anybody who set their heart seriously to pray, they quickly realize that there's many challenges. Prayer's not easy. But I think the greatest challenge we face is we just don't know how. 
it's not an easy thing. It's something that we can learn, however. And I stumbled across an idea years ago. I've since heard many people talk about it. At the time, I thought it was original to me. Um, I, I decided the best way to maybe learn how to pray is find the prayers in the scriptures and pray those. And I, the, how I got to this idea is a good friend of mine, um, he was actually uh, older than me. We worked together um, doing church planting in Europe. His name was Herschel. And uh, Herschel had come to know the Lord uh, many, many years prior to this. And the guy that led him to the Lord bought him a Bible and he taught him how to take eight different colored pencils and highlight the Bible and each pencil was a different theme in the scriptures. So yellow was the character of God and the nature of God. Uh, green was the grace of God. Um, blue was the work of the Holy Spirit. Red was the work of Christ. Um, purple was prayer. And so I took up, because Herschel would do a Bible a year. He would color code a Bible every single year. And, uh, and so I did this for a couple of years where I got a Bible, I got my eight colored pencils, and I went through the whole Bible, and I, I just color coded it. And when I came across to prayer, I would outline the prayer in purple or highlight the whole thing in purple. And now what's really cool is at the end of the year when you're done, you just, just kind of thumb through, and all the purple jumps up, and you can see all the places where there's prayer. And I thought, well, if God recorded these prayers in the scripture, it's probably helpful. If this is how they prayed and God thought enough of it to record it in the scripture, maybe it'll be instructive for me. So I would go through various prayers that I saw in the Bible and use them as an outline as I learned how to pray. Pretty cool idea, huh? And so this prayer that Paul is praying in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15 through 23, is one of those kinds of prayers. You can turn to this passage and use it as a prompting and to give you insight to know how to pray for other people. So before we get there, let's talk a little bit about why we pray, all right? Now, God is really good at drawing us to himself. And one of the ways that he does that, I believe that he'll use times of transition, times of tension, or times of tragedy as kind of ways to prime the pump, if you will, and draw us to himself and to teach us to pray. Times of transition could be as simple as moving to a new area. And we just were creatures of habit and we get out of our routine and all of a sudden we start becoming aware of, of, of needs that we might have. It could be more serious, things like a loss of a job, a loss of a relationship. Certainly these things bring pain to our soul and make us aware of our needs, are aware of our need for God. In times of tension, people are drawn to pray, difficulties in marriage, difficulties in family, stresses at work, times of sickness, perhaps areas of your life that you've just been trying to overcome, but you just keep see, seem like you're hitting the wall over and over again. And so these times of tension also make us aware of our need for God. And then there's times of tragedy, times like the things we faced this week, where there are windows into the soul, where we see just how powerless that we are, and we become very in tune with our need for God. This week, a poignant reminder, as I mentioned, it's the worst mass shooting in American history, the second worst terrorist event that our nation has seen. But this time, it's not some far-off city halfway around the globe or in another distant part of America. This one happened in our backyard. This is Orange Avenue. This is two blocks south of ORMC. I mean, we go there. We hang out there. 
Perhaps you've been to the Target down in that area, in the Soto area. And now the horrific stories are starting to emerge of the survivors and what it was like to be in this building with a ruthless, cold-hearted, cold-blooded killer just systematically and methodically inflicted mayhem upon this defenseless crowd. It's unimaginable, the suffering, the horror, the fear that they endured that evening. And when we contemplate this, it's just like we're living in a world that just seems so out of control. And it makes us aware of our powerlessness, how just finite we are, and that we have a deep need for God. And so he draws us to himself and it draws us to prayer. My prayer is that the times of transition, tension, and tragedy would just prime the pump and that we would become a people of prayer, that we would become a people full of faith who regularly have tapped into the power of God and regularly are in what God invites us to, the throne room of his grace. There's a verse in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 that's one of my favorite. And it gives us imagery that's, that's kind of foreign to us in our democratic society. Because what the verse says is that God invites us into his very throne room of his grace to give us grace and mercy to help us in a time of need. We don't grow up under a monarchy. We don't know what a throne room is. But the God of the universe, the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, resides in his throne room, the seat of power of all power for all the universe. And he says, come there and come there often as my children. I invite you. You've now got a free all-access pass, fast pass to the front of the line. Come and receive what you need at any time. Now, the closest thing we have to a seat of power in America is the White House, and in particular in the White House, the Oval Office. And uh, JFK Jr., um, if he was still alive, we'd be the same age. Um, And there's pictures of him when he was just a little boy, uh, he was probably two or three at the time, uh, where dad is in this room of power, the Oval Office, and he's sitting at his desk, and there's a picture where his son, John F.K. Jr., is sitting under the desk playing with his little toys as dad's uh, worrying about all the problems of the free world. Um, Pretty cool picture. That's the picture that I want you to have about the throne room of God's grace. That's where daddy is. That's where he wants us to come and just be comfortable and we hang out anytime, all the time. He's invited us in there to receive the stuff we need in our time of need. And when we go, we'll begin to see change. The change will happen within us. We'll begin to see God differently. We'll begin to see ourselves differently. We'll begin to understand his power towards us. We'll begin to explore the power of the gospel in our lives and so that we can now move towards him and we can start to be transformed moment by moment, bit by bit, into the very image of his son for the sake of others. But not only do we change, the Bible says through our prayers, the world changes as well. As Christians, I believe we should be praying bold prayers because I think bold prayers honor God. And I think that while people can reject our message, they're defenseless against our prayers. 
And I also believe that people need so much more than what you or I can give them. They need something from the mind and the heart of God that only God can touch their soul. God as their creator, God as their, the person that loves them completely, unconditionally. They need God. And so we pray. The results will not always be immediate. It's kind of like working out. It's a little bit by a little bit, and then things start to move. I want to tell you a story of prayer that had benefited me. Um, I grew up going to church, the same church actually, from a baby all the way through 18 years old. Um, I grew up near Eight Mile Road, uh, famous now because of M&M. I can never say that, M&M. And, um, and so thank you for making my hometown uh, very famous. And the church I went to was at Seven Mile Road, a mile in uh, from the border of Detroit there. And uh, it's the same church my family went to for generations. Now, I'm the notorious kid. I got kicked out of our version of base camp. Um, we had, uh, I guess, a rocking horse in the, the little kids area, and I thought it was mine, and I didn't want anybody else to be on it, so I would literally throw kids off, and they couldn't stop me or contain my behavior, so they said, you're out of here, and uh, I got kicked out of base camp. Eventually, they let me back in. There is redemption in the name of Jesus, and, uh, and so I got back in. Um, so when I graduated and went off to college, I guess that rebellious streak was still in me, and the first three years in school, I was running the other way. Um, I was not pursuing God. And God in his grace stopped me, brought me back to himself. And man, when I came back, I really came back with all my heart. And so that summer, I decided I was going to go on a missions trip with Campus Crusade, now known as Crew, overseas. And so like a lot of folks, what I did at the time is I went back to my home church and uh, asked for prayer and for financial support. They were really gracious. They opened up the church, and they actually let me preach that Sunday, this wet behind the ears 22-year-old kid. Uh, they had me share that Sunday message. And one of the traditions of our church is we would, whoever spoke on that Sunday morning would be at the back door. Um, and we would shake hands with everybody as they were going out the door. And I remember I was kind of standing this way, and an elderly lady um, I saw just out of the corner of my mind, I was kind of shuffling up, and it was her turn, and she came up to me, and uh, she just hunched over, reached out her well-weathered hands, her bony hands, and she grabbed my hand with both of her hands, and she looked into my eyes, and she said, Jeff Kern, Jeff Kern, I've been praying for you, boy. Turns out she was my second grade Sunday school teacher. And this dear woman of God, I can't even tell you her name, made a list of all the kids who came through her class. And she prayed for them faithfully year over year. I am convinced I'm standing in front of you today in large part because of the prayers of some faithful lady that I can't even tell you her name. So all you base camp workers, I'm seeing the shirts, thank you. What you do with our kids matters. You're planting seeds that can last a lifetime. Prayer is powerful. It changes lives. It changes things. So with that in mind, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. Let's start in 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people... I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you might know him better. 
interesting. So Paul, as he, he talks about them, he says, I'm just so thankful for you guys. And he says, so I, I'm driven to prayer. And, and here's what I pray for you, that the spirit of God. Now, the, the word here um, is, is pneuma. Um, it's akin to the Hebrew word ruah. Um, it's translated one of two ways. Oftentimes, it's translated as it is in the NIV, referring to the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit of God. Um, it also could be that animating part that makes us different than dead things, all right? It's the spirit that gives us life. It's the breath of life. Um, and either way, he's praying that we would have a spirit that comes from God of wisdom and revelation. In other words, we'd have insight. And revelation basically means that we need God's help to see stuff we can't see without him. He opens up our minds. And so Paul's saying, I pray that they get it. Now, look what he's saying we, he, he's asking for. I pray that they can have a spirit of wisdom and revelation that they might know you better. Pretty cool, huh? I can pray that prayer. Lord, I, I, pray, I pray that Bob has a spirit of wisdom and revelation that Bob would know you better. I pray that Jill would know you better today, Lord. Would you reveal yourself deeper to her? And that is such a profound prayer. I pray that you pray that for me. It may seem kind of simple. I'm like, really? Why would we pray that? Why would, why would we pray that, that we get to know God better? Well, have you ever stopped to ponder the benefits of knowing God better? It changes everything. He changes everything. It's the gospel, and it's what we're going to talk about today. One of my favorite people that I'm getting to know is a guy that we just hired recently at Summit to help us with facilities. His name is Will. And uh, Will's not shy about telling his story, and I just love his story. Um, Will has a rough past. He was a, he was a guy you, you didn't want to mess with. Um, and, and he's not afraid to tell you. And Will had a lot of anger, a lot of things that he carried around inside, so much so that his wife saw it, his kids saw it, and God brought him to the end of himself, and he turned to the Lord with all of his heart. And he's changing. And he says, my kids see it. My wife sees it. He says, all my friends on Facebook are saying, you're in church? What's going on with you? And so he'd say, like, and they just can't believe it. And so and he just writes them back and just says, yeah, man, you just... All I can tell you is go to church and get to know Jesus. That's, that's what's going on with me. And God's using him in his story. You see, the truth is, is knowing God changes everything. We begin to see ourselves differently. No matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, we're not defined by our past. We're free from our sin. We're made new in Christ Jesus. We begin to see our problems differently. Nothing is impossible for our God. Not only is God big and able, God loves you enough to draw near to you and he's willing to help you in your time of need. We begin to see our purpose differently. We don't just go through life and then check out at the end. No, God's got something for us to do. God created you with something specially in mind for you to do. He's got a purpose for you and for me, a life of meaning a life of joining him in his work, of bringing his message of love and salvation to the world. And so, if you want to pray for me, pray that I know God better. That'd be a really, really good thing. Isn't that a great prayer? Well, let's continue on, because Paul continues with that spirit, picking up in verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened in order that you might know the hope to which he has called you, 
the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. He prays three things there. I'll explain those in a minute. He basically prays the gospel. And then he goes on to describe the power, that the power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Oh, how rich is that in terms of insight into the person of God. Okay, let's break this down. First of all, he prays for an enlightened heart. In other words, for you to be able to see stuff spiritually that you don't normally see. You see, the Bible says we have to be awakened to the spiritualities around us. We just kind of walk around sometimes in a fog and we're not seeing the spiritual. We're not seeing the unseen. We're not seeing the hand of God and the work of God. And so we need to have the eyes of our heart enlightened so that we can be aware of the spiritualities all around us. Interestingly, he prays the gospel. First of all, he prays that we would be enlightened to the hope of his calling, that our hearts would know the hope of his calling. This speaks of what God has done for us in the past. This speaks about his complete forgiveness, the work of salvation of Jesus, that you and I are no longer defined by our past or the mistakes that we made. That's not who you are. It's what you did. It's not who you are. You see, we matter to God and we're deeply loved and we've been made as new creatures when he gave us his spirit completely forgiven. You can see yourself differently. You're not a slave to the things that held you back. You're free from the power of sin and you don't have to let that define you. He also prays that we would see the riches of his glory and the inheritance in his saints, his people. This speaks of the future aspect of the gospel. What lies ahead? Paul says in another passage, eye has not seen, ear has not heard, your mind cannot conceive of what God has in store for those who love him. Do you follow that? What he's basically saying is that you can't even begin to comprehend. Your greatest thought of what heaven will be like will fall so far short of the glories of what lie ahead. It's glorious. It's eternal. It's incorruptible. And that's what lies ahead for you and me. So no matter what we face in the here and now, we don't have to give in to despair. Why? Because in the end, we win. We're with God in eternity. And then he prays for the present, the gospel in the present, that we would know the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. Now notice what he doesn't pray. He doesn't pray that we get power. He prays that we'd know the power that we already have. All right, it's as, it's as if we're all driving around in a bunch of jalopies. And God has given us a Lamborghini and he's given us the keys and it's sitting in the garage. And that thing is powerful. And he wants to teach you how to drive it. It's yours. You've got power for living that you don't even know. 
And he says it's the resurrection power of Jesus that raised him from the dead and seated him in the heavenly throne above all rule and dominion and authority and gave him his head over all things to the church. It's that power. And it's not just enough to know resurrection power. He invites us to live the resurrected life with him. That's the power that you have. It's a power to change. And when we get it, we realize that God's in the business of transforming lives, starting with me. And I can experience victory and holiness in my life. I can experience the power of God in my marriage. I can experience the power of God in the problems I'm facing in my family. That's the power that's available to you and to me. That's why I love Will's story so much. Now, it might take effort, but you can change. And let me just invite you, because I know, I know the reason Paul prays for us to get our eyes open to this stuff is because we walk around blind to it. And I think the church today is facing a crisis of powerlessness when God has given us all the power we need. It takes humility. It takes the willingness to say, I can't, and God, I need your help. It will, takes the willingness to step forward in community and say, brothers and sisters, would you surround me with your love and with your help? But I'm ready to move forward on this thing. And we can have that together as a community. That's what Paul's praying for. But it's not just a power that changes me. It's a power that God intends to change the very world in which we live. God is on a mission. He's wanting to bring his love and his salvation and his reign to every square inch of this planet, his redemption to the whole world. And it's times like what we've experienced this last week that are opportunities for the church to rise up and be the church. Now, some people feared that the church might not fully support the victims of this tragedy because of their affiliation with the LBGTQ community. And, uh, and I understand that, but I'm so glad that I didn't see it. I saw the exact opposite. I saw the people of God all over the city become a beacon of light in the face of darkness. I saw goodness in the face of evil and injustice. I saw compassion in the face of this unimaginable pain and tragedy. And I saw that all around the city, and I saw that in our own community here as well. Last Sunday, as we kind of tried to get our head wrapped around what was going on, there were so many people at Summit that just, I got to do something. So they ran down and they offered to give blood, and others um, handed out drinks and water bottles to people standing in line. Just some act of compassion and kindness and service. I know many people just prayed. I know many counselors that just went into action and immediately offered their services to provide grief counseling and trauma counseling to the people that had been affected in so many ways and traumatized in so many ways. Monday, our leadership team kind of gathered together early Monday morning and we began to contemplate what are all the different ways that we could reach out as a church. One of my favorite um, is there is a summit partner who had connections at ORMC. And there's obviously so many family members, uh, parents, grandparents, children that are gathered there waiting in support of 
uh, the 53 people that have been impacted and injured, um, some of them very, very traumatically, some of them clinging to life. And so these family there, members are huddled there. And so uh, the idea was to put together these just little um, kind of care packets, little baggie, you know, a big baggie of food and uh, little things to read. Um, some of them had things for children to do, kind of like hours that they're sitting there, they'd be bored, coloring books, books, that sort of thing. And by 6.30 that night, word went out about two o'clock. By 6.30 that night, we had over 700 packages put together that get carted over to ORMC. I mean, people just showed up because of email. So proud of the church. The city rallied to pray together Tuesday night at First Baptist and uh, some at the, our family came together. Many of you came out in, in prayer. Those of the you that couldn't, I know you were praying with us. And to see that outpouring of love and compassion, the hundreds of people that came out We've reached out to families to offer uh, our facilities and our services for anybody that would want help with the funeral arrangements or conducting their funerals. I know one Summit business owner uh, knew one of the families, and so he actually just paid for everything related to their funeral uh, from beginning to burial. Just decided, you don't have to worry about that. I'll take that. And so many acts, countless acts that we don't even know of, of kindness, of service, of prayer, of the church raising up in the name and the love and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's who we are. It's what we're here to do. Proud to be a part of this community, but there's so much more to be done. This is just the beginning. And so let's continue to pray. Let's continue to serve. Let's continue to love. In response to this tragedy, in response to the great need that our city and our world has, just because. There's good news today, you guys, and we've got it. We gotta tell it, we gotta live it, we gotta demonstrate it. Ephesians 1 is a, such a profound passage. It tells us who we are so that we can be fully alive and so that we can lean in fully to the purpose God gave us. It also, teaches us to access the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, a power that not only covers our sins and makes us free from sin, we no longer have to be a slave to it, a power that not only guarantees a glorious future that awaits all of us, but a power that provides resurrection power to bring the kingdom of God and his love to a desperately needy world. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we are touched by your word. And we're so thankful, Lord, for the gospel. It changes everything. It forgives us, Lord, from all of our sin. It gives us a new identity because of what you've done for us in your great love. There's nothing this world can throw at us that could in any way Take away what lies ahead, Lord. In the end, no matter what we face, the difficulties we will encounter in this earth, there is a glorious future and hope that awaits us. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, as we make our way through the tragedy and the pain and the sin and the junk and the guck of this world, help us to access the power that you've given to us to love 
the power to communicate your truth, the power, Lord, to be your people in bringing the kingdom of God to this place. We pray this all in the powerful and risen name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.